ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So last week then we began this chapter That one of the reasons that Bani Adam they committed kufr and they left their religion it was due to their ghulu their excessiveness and their exaggeration in the righteous people and we had mentioned the ayah ya ahla al-kitab la taghlu fi dinikum o people of the book do not exaggerate or go into excess in religion and that was in regards to the christians in particular who went into exaggeration and excessiveness in regards to Isa alayhi salam, so they raised him above his level of messengership and claimed that he has rububiyyah and that he is a god himself. And the Jews, some of them, they claimed Uzair is the son of Allah also. So then we got up to the second evidence the hadith in al-bukhari of ibn abbas radiyallahu anhuma fi qawli allah ta'ala wa qalu la tadharunna alihatakum wa la tadharunna waddan wa la suwa'an wa la yaghutha wa ya'uqa wa nasra this hadith of ibn abbas where he speaks about this ayah and he mentions هَذِهِ أَسْمَاءُ رِجَالٍ صَالِحِينَ مِنْ قَوْمِ نُوحِ فَلَمَّا هَلَكُوا أَوْحَى الشَّيْطَانُ إِلَى قَوْمِهِمْ أَنِنْصِبُوا إِلَى مَجَالِسِهِمُ الَّتِي كَانُوا يَجْلِسُونَ فِيهَا أَنْصَابَا وسموها بأسمائهم ففعلوا ولم تعبد حتى إذا هلك أولئك ونسي العلم عبدت ابن عباس mentioned about this ayah that these were the names of righteous men ود and سواع and يغوث and يعوق and نصر that they were the names of righteous men who lived in the generation around about the time of Nuh or just prior to the time of Nuh And when these righteous people died, Shaitan whispered to the people, to their people, that you should make in your gathering places that you sit in, you should make some representations of those pious people and put them up 
in your gathering places and name these figurines or idols the same names as those pious men. فَفَعَلُوا So they did that. وَلَمْ تُعْبَدْ But they were not worshipped until those generations they died. That generation died and knowledge was lost. And then when the future generations came, they began worshipping those statues or figurines or pictures that they had made. So here as Shaykh Al-Fawzan he says, قوم نوح لما نهاهم نبي الله نوح عليه الصلاة والسلام عن الشرك وأمرهم بعبادة الله وحده لا شريك له تواصوا فيما بينهم بهذه الوصية الكافرة والنوح عليه السلام gave da'wah to his people to come to the worship of Allah alone and to abandon all of their shirk and prohibited them from all of their shirk. When he did that, his people, the mushrikun, they all came together upon this false notion and this false rebuttal a rebuttal that has within it kufr when they said وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِهَتَكُمْ when they said to each other don't leave your deities Nuh was telling them abandon all of these false deities they were advising each other do not leave these deities يعني لا تطيعوا نوحا عليه السلام لا تتركوا آلهتكم التي تعبدونها من دون الله meaning they were counseling each other whispering to each other don't listen to نوح don't listen to him don't leave your deities and these gods and these idols ولا تذرن ودا ولا سواعا ولا يغوث ويعوق ونصرا and they were whispering to each other don't leave ودا وسواعا ويغوث ويعوق ونصرا the names of their idols and they were the names of righteous people prior to that who had lived in the generation prior to that وكان هذا في الأول لأن الناس كانوا بعد آدم عليه السلام على دين التوحيد كما قال ابن عباس كانوا على دين التوحيد دين أبيهم آدم عليه الصلاة والسلام عشرة قرون وكان هؤلاء الصالحون في هذا العهد عهد التوحيد فلما ماتوا ويرى أنهم ماتوا في سنة واحدة حزنوا عليهم حزنا شديدا وبكوا عليهم فاستغل الشيطان لعنه الله هذه العاطفة فيهم وأشار عليهم بمشورة ظاهرها النصح وباطنها الخديع والمكر أشار عليه بأن يصوروا تماثيلهم يعني يجعلوا لهم صورا على شكل تماثيل كل واحد له صورة وأن ينصبوا هذه التماثيل على مجالسهم من أجل أن ينشطوا على العبادة
إذا رأوهم تذكروا حالتهم فنشطوا على العبادة فهو جاءهم من باب النصر وأشار عليهم مشورة ظاهر والخير وأن هذه وسيلة للنشاط على العبادة والتقوى والصلاح والاقتداء بهؤلاء Initially, as we mentioned from the narration of Ibn Abbas, from the time of Adam السلام, up to the time of Nuh السلام, 10 generations, approximately a thousand years, all of those people were upon Tawheed. And these people, Wad, Suwa', Yaghuth, Ya'uq, Nasr, they were righteous people who were upon Tawheed, they were in those ten generations upon Tawheed, and they were righteous, pious people, known in their community for their righteousness and piety. So when those five righteous and pious people died, and it's mentioned in some narrations, all five of them died in the same year. One after the next, all of them ended up dying close by to each other. And so when that happened, the community, the people, they were all extremely saddened. And they were grieving considerably over the loss of these righteous and pious people within their generation and their community. So shaitan saw an opportunity. And remember, we've had a thousand years from the time of Adam alayhi salam, ten generations, all of them have been upon Tawheed. Finally, shaitan saw an opportunity. And that opportunity was due to the people being in an emotional state over the death of those righteous people. So the shaitan saw that he had an opportunity to utilize due to the people being in that emotional state at the loss of those righteous and pious people. And so shaitan whispered to the people an idea that on the surface of it sounded like a perfectly reasonable idea. On the surface of it, it appeared to be logical and reasonable. But secretly, inwardly, the shaitan had a plot within that idea that he was giving them and implanting into them. It was a deception. The idea that he gave them was that they should make some forms of representation of those righteous people who had died and those figurines or some forms of representation that they make for each of those people. They should put them in their places of gathering so that every time they gather and they see those representations of the righteous people, then it reminds them of those righteous people. 
and as a consequence it will increase them in their energy that they want to be like those righteous people it will increase them in their iman and in their righteousness and their taqwa if they see these representations of those righteous people it will remind them and strengthen them the shaitan said to them and in fact the shaykh has summarized the full story here initially the shaitan had whispered to them that they should go to the graveyard where those righteous people were buried and visit their graves so they can remember these pious people and therefore be pious themselves and that by itself isn't a problem going to the grave visiting the grave remembering those people and coming back there's no shirk in that action by itself so they began doing that then the shaitan whispered to them but wait when you go all the way out there to the graveyard outside of the village you walk there you come back all that time when you go you should make benefit of your time there don't just go for five minutes and come back go and stay there at the graves for significant periods of time and again the people they thought that is a good idea if we go to the graves of these righteous we should sit there for significant amounts of time and ponder and reflect so they began doing that then in the next step the shaitan whispered to them along the lines of that it is difficult for you to constantly have to go out to the graveyard and the distance to get there etc it would be easier if you made some representations of them some type of idol or, or representation or figurine or something put them in your places of gathering every time you see them you'll remember them whereas in this method now you barely get a chance maybe once a week once a month to go see their graves in this way you'll be seeing them every day every time you go to your places of gathering you'll see their pictures you'll see their representations and you'll remember them and it will increase you in your taqwa and iman and wanting to be like them so again the people they thought that's a good idea and they did that so by this stage now from visiting the graves from almost doing i'tikaf at the graves the shaitan got them to the stage of having their pictures and representations in their places of gathering but still no shirk was occurring from them they weren't worshipping these pictures they weren't prostrating to them they weren't making dua to them but the shaitan had got them to the level of making some pictures of those righteous people and having them in their gathering places and sitting places then it's what ibn abbas said here that initially lam tu'bad they were not worshipped initially but then after that hatta idha halaka ulaika wa nusiya al-ilm ubidat when that generation of people died and then the future generations came and they weren't as aware 
of the background regarding these pictures as their forefathers were. They didn't know who these people were. They were in the generation of their forefathers. So they only had stories from their forefathers regarding these people and who they were and why their pictures were in their places of gathering. So the shaitan then came to them and whispered to them that your forefathers only had these pictures and these representations of those pious people in their places of gathering because they used to make dua to them. And when there was a drought, they used to seek the rainfall from them. They used to call upon them. That's why they had these pictures and everything in their places of gathering. And so these people, Nusi al-Ilm, they didn't know any better. And so then they fell into those whisperings of the shaitan and actually began worshipping those uh, pictures and idols and figurines and statues they'd made. So then, Sheikh Al-Fawzan, he mentions, وَأَشَارَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمَشْوَرَةٍ ظَاهِرُهَا الْخَيْرِ So Shaitan, he came to them in these stages, whispering to them ideas that sounded logical and good. You'll remember those pious people, it will make you more pious. Sounded like they were good reasonings. إِذَا رَأَوْ صُوَرَهُمْ تَذَكَّرُوا صَلَاحَهُمْ وَحَالَتَهُمْ فَاقْتَدَوْا بِهِمْ that when they would see their pictures, they would remember them and they would follow in their footsteps and be good. But the shaitan inwardly, secretly, deceptively was plotting against them. يُؤَسِّسُ هَذَا الْأَسَاسِ لِلْأَجْيَالِ الْقَادِمَةِ وَإِلَّا فَإِنَّهُ يَعْرِفْ أَنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ مَا دَامَ الْعِلْمُ مَوْجُودًا وَمَا دَامَ أَنَّهُمْ عَلَى التَّوْحِيدِ لَنْ يَتْرُكُوا عِبَادَةَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلِ شيطان الشيخ الفوزان says here يَرْمِي إِلَى مَرْمَى بَعِيدٍ that his line of sight and his plotting and planning, Yermi Marma Ba'id, is long term. Literally meaning that he casts his net out with a wide casting. When you want to catch fish, you put a big net out everywhere, you've got more chance of catching things than a small net. He mentions here, Yermi Marma Ba'id, that he has a long term plan. He throws his net out a long way away. And that is that the shaitan looks at the end of where he can achieve and what he can achieve. So in this generation of people when he came to them, they were a generation coming off the back of ten generations of pure tawheed. They weren't just going to overnight suddenly fall for his whispers and commit shirk. And he knew that. He knew he wasn't going to just suddenly be able to make them commit shirk after 10 generations of Tawheed. So he plotted a long-term plot. With that generation, he just said to them, go to the graves, make the pictures to remember the righteous people and 
remember how they were with their taqwa and iman, it'll help you as well, and left it at that. Didn't say to them, worship them, make dua to them, he knew that wouldn't work. Left it at that. He sowed the seeds. He implanted the original idea, and then allowed it to stay. Then, when the new generations of people came, and their knowledge was less than those who came prior to them, it was then that he put that action into, uh, or that plan into action, and then said to them, worship these things. The Shaykh says, look at how the shaitan plots and plans long term. Tells you to do something small to begin with, and it may not look like it's a big deal, but his plan is the long term. Right now you are doing something small, falling for it, but his idea and his plan and his goal is what you'll be doing in a year from now, or five years from now, or ten years from now. Beginning with that small thing, and that's why a Shaykh al-Fawzan, he mentions, هذا دليل على أن البدع لا تجوز وإن كان ظاهرها الخير وإن كانت نية أو نية أصحابها الخير that innovation any type of it is not permissible even if on the surface of it it looks like it's something good it is not permissible even if on the surface of it, it looks like something good. And every bid'ah, as it is mentioned, it may begin as something small. And the person doing it doesn't think much of it. But then slowly that bid'ah increases and increases and increases until that person can no longer actually even pull himself out of it. He has become so engrossed in it. But it all starts small and then builds and builds and builds. And that's why in the Quran as well, when it comes to certain types of sins, Allah doesn't warn us against the sin itself directly, but warns us against the means that can lead to that sin as well as the sin. Because those means, even though they may not necessarily be haram things, but by opening up that door bit by bit, you may eventually be led down the path to something that is haram. And that's why in the Quran it says, Wala taqrabu. Zina, that do not approach the zina, the fornication, approach it. Meaning, the various doors that lead down to the path to it, do not even open those doors in the first place. Those doors that are not the doors of fornication themselves, but they are doors that give you a pathway towards it. So we are being warned in the Qur'an, from the very early stages, don't even open the door leading to that way. So we know that the means to it are impermissible. You should not even open the door to it, let alone the actual act 
So here bid'ah it begins small, but then it becomes bigger and bigger, and sins are the same thing. The same the scholars have mentioned about all of these things. A sin a person does, it begins small. And then he continues to do it and do it and do it until he no longer really pays any attention to it. And then that sin slowly gets a bit bigger. But he's already so used to doing it, when it gets a bit bigger, he doesn't really pay any attention to it. Then over time it gets a bit bigger again. But he's become so used to it now. Stage by stage, even though it's getting bigger and bigger, he's not noticing it. He's not noticing that he's becoming worse and worse in his actions, in his statements, in whatever it is. Whereas if somebody was told, kill this person, that's right at the top of the, 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 the peak of everything. You know straight away that's haram, of course I cannot. But then... If there's a hundred steps to get to that level, first this, then that, then this, then that, then this, then that, and the shaitan whispers and whispers and whispers and whispers, and you slowly climb and climb and climb and climb on that ladder, small steps at a time. Every time you take a small step, it's something insignificant, you don't pay attention. And you end up at that top level with those small steps. And every small step was insignificant. Whereas from the beginning to get to that top level, you recognize it. Of course I cannot kill anyone. Of course I cannot drink alcohol. The top end from the beginning looks big. But when it starts with small stages one by one by one, then every stage is insignificant and unnoticed. And you slowly end up at the top without even realizing that's with sins, that's with bid'ah, with innovation. And that's why the scholars, they say it is so severe. So severe to be warned from the smallest of sins and smallest of innovations. A small uh, lie that you tell. And then you end up telling another small lie and another small lie. Until eventually you end up becoming an absolute liar in your statements. And it doesn't really affect you because you built up to that in small stages that were insignificant. You become somebody who backbites the people, a small statement here, a statement there. It's insignificant to you, but then it continues and continues and continues until you become someone who is perhaps backbiting the scholars and eating their flesh too. Or you are somebody who carries the tail, a small one here, a small one there. Until it gets to the level you become an outright namam, carrying the tails between the people and you haven't even realized how you've got to that level. Bit by bit you've got to it. And as a Sheikh Al-Fawzan said about the namam, one of the reasons why the namam will not smell the fragrance of paradise is because the amount of corruption a namam can cause in half an hour or an hour is equivalent to what a magician has to strive for a year to cause. The amount of corruption a namam can cause in an hour or a small period of time is equivalent to what a magician ends up doing in a whole year. Such is the level of corruption that occurs. But the people can end up 
in those circumstances because the shaitan plots in the long term. Doesn't come and tell you straight away, go and fornicate. Doesn't come and tell you straight away, go and drink alcohol. Doesn't come and tell you straight away, go and do this major sin or that major sin. Rather, starts with the small affairs. In fact, as the scholars have mentioned, the shaitan from the earliest of the stages of the plan may even start when he tells you to do ibadah. Shaitan comes and tells you to do worship. And that could be one of the early stages of the plan. How could that be from the plan? The scholars, they say, it could be that the shaitan comes and tells you to do lower levels of worship at the expense of higher levels of worship. So you're doing a worship. But you've done it at the expense of something higher level that you should have done. So the shaitan, to begin with, he's even happy with that. He's told you to do a worship, but a lower level one. Perhaps you've, uh, like the example they give in some of the books, the time for the prayer comes, and the adhan occurs, and you're in talabul ilm. I think this example in Riyadh al-Salihin or somewhere. You're in talabul ilm. You're sitting at home reading your book and reading your Quran, for example, or hadith or kitab al-Tawheed, and then you hear the adhan. But you're so much into it, you've just got five pages left. You think, okay, quickly, let me carry on. You carry on, you carry on, you carry on, you carry on. And next thing you know, you hear the iqama. And then you think, oh, just half a page. Let me just finish. I'll go catch the prayer. You carry on, you carry on, you carry on. Finish. You go and you've missed the prayer. What you were doing there? Talabul ilm. And the shaitan was telling you, continue, continue. Look, talabul ilm, you've only got a bit left. This much, that much. But he has ended up making you miss the jama'ah in the prayer. That's an example somewhere, I don't remember where, Riyadh al-Salihin maybe. Where the shaitan has whispered to you to do your talab al-ilm and your reading of your books and your tawheed and Qur'an and whatever you're reading. But he knows what he's doing. He's causing you there for your mind to be twisted out of the reality of where you should be. Which is that right now the obligation is the prayer. And yet the shaitan has made you do this, which is an act of worship in and of itself, at the expense of an obligation that he's made you miss. So then you start thinking to yourself, it's justified, but oh, I missed it, but it was a good thing, I was doing this, I was doing that. And you start to justify, it's not too bad why I missed. And then eventually he continues like that. Maybe he causes you to do other forms of worship at the expense of the greater worships. And then once he gets beyond that stage, then perhaps he can almost whisper to you to abandon the worships and then do the harams, small ones, and then bigger and bigger and bigger. The point is, Shaitan here began with a plan and then implemented that plan not over the lifetime of a person, but over the lifetimes, generations. He made the early footsteps in that first generation and carried out his plan years later in the next generation of people. So he says, or the Sheikh mentions here then, 
هذا دليل على أن البدع لا تجوز وإن كان ظاهرها الخير so bid'ah is not allowed even if it is apparently good ابتدعوا هذه البدعه وصوروا هذه التماثيل على مجالس هؤلاء الصالحين ولم تعبد في هذا الجيل لأنهم على علم وعلى دين لكن لما مات هذا الجيل ونسي العلم وفي رواية نسخ العلم بموت العلماء لأن الشيطان لا يتسلط في الغالب مع وجود العلماء لأن العلماء يكافحونه ويردون كيده إنما يتسلط عند عدم العلماء So the Sheikh says initially in that first generation he couldn't do anything they could not be convinced to worship those idols or those statues or pictures because they were upon knowledge. And it's mentioned in one narration, that eventually when knowledge was lost due to the deaths of the scholars, the scholars in their generation, they died. And so the people were left upon ignorance their scholars had died and as a consequence of that knowledge had become lost and the sheikh says because with the presence of the scholars then the shaitan cannot overcome that people those people because the scholars they will rebut the plans and the plots of the shaitan upon the community upon the society the scholars are the ones who clarify and make the religion clear and rebuke and rebut the evils and the innovations and the sins. So the shaitan cannot overcome a people whom have scholars in their midst. And this is why it is so important to have that rujur ila ulama to have that returning back to the scholars constantly and being in connection with them constantly. And just now we were mentioning the scholars, their lessons, they are live broadcast these days with all of this technology. Those who understand Arabic should definitely be listening to some of the lessons of the scholars, live broadcasts. Listen to their explanations as they teach the books. Listen to their explanations of various lessons in fiqh, tawheed, whatever it may be. Here we are reading their explanations. This is almost like a secondary source. You can go to the primary source and hear the scholars talk and explain. And like they say, it's not just the explanation you'll benefit from them, it's their method. Hearing how a scholar talks, how he delivers his lesson, how he explains things, it gives you a better understanding and a greater strength in your talab al-ilm. So certainly it is important to have that uh, connection with the scholars of the ummah. حَتَّى إِذَا هَلَكَ أُولَئِكَ وَنُسِيَ الْعِلْمِ Until when those people died and knowledge was lost, يعني بموت العلماء, by the death of the scholars, عُبِدَتْ Then these idols or these pictures, they were worshipped. Because the shaitan told them that your forefathers used to seek closeness to them and they used to seek water from them. And so you notice what the shaitan said to this generation was different to what he said to the previous generation. 
So the previous ones he told them, just look at them to remember them and increase in your taqwa. That's it. To this generation, completely different. These are there for you to make dua to them, to ask for the rainfall from them. So the shaitan now changed what he said to them. And all of this occurred because of the error originally of al-ghulu fi salihin the excessiveness and exaggeration in the righteous people. That early generation were extremely saddened and grieving over the loss of those pious people to the extent they ended up bringing their pictures and their representations into their gatherings. Al-ghulu fi salihin That exaggeration in those righteous people was the cause of this original shirk to occur upon the earth. فَهَذَا أَوَّلُ شِرْكٍ حَدَثَ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَسَبَبُهُ هُوَ الْغُلُوْ فِي الصَّالِحِينَ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Nuh alayhi salam when that shirk then occurred in order to call the people back to Tawheed. Ibn al-Qayyim, he said, قَالَ غَيْرُ وَاحِدٍ مِّنَ السَّلَفِ لَمَّا مَاتُوا عَكَفُوا عَلَى قُبُورِهِمْ oh, He mentions it here now. ثُمَّ صَوَّرُوا تَمَاثِيلَهُمْ ثُمَّ طَالَ عَلَيْهِمُ الْأَمَدِ فَعَبَدُوهُمْ That initially when they died, the shaytan had whispered to them, go and sit at their graves and remember them. عَكَفُوا meaning اعتكاف and that's when you stick to somewhere, stick to a place. They would go and stick to the graves, sit there for long periods of time. And then eventually they brought their pictures into the gatherings, and eventually when time went by and generations went by, they began worshipping them. فهنا الآية تدل على مسائل عظيمة. المسألة الأولى تحريم الغلو في الصالحين. Firstly then, this ayah tells us about the impermissibility to have exaggeration and excessiveness in righteous people. To have exaggeration and excessiveness in righteous people. تَحْرِيمُ الْغُلُوءُ فِي الصَّالِحِينَ بِمَعْنَ مَا ذَكَرْنَاهُ فِي الْغُلُوءُ وَأَنَّهُ يَأُولُوا إِلَى الشِّرْكِ And because that excessiveness and exaggeration can lead to shirk occurring, and some of the forms of this exaggeration that you see is how the people build uh, tombs and shrines and all types of other affairs on top of the graves of righteous people that they claim to be righteous. Secondly, we also see that this exaggeration in righteous people and excessiveness in raising righteous people is from the customs and the characteristics of the Jews and the Christians. Ya ahl al-kitabi la fi dinikum. They were rebuked in the Quran for doing it. It is from their ways, this exaggeration and excessiveness in righteous people. The third issue, at-tahdhir min at-tasweer. The, imp- the warning against picture making. And that at-tasweer is a general thing. That it is impermissible 
to engage in picture making generally in whatever form. Picture making is not necessarily just having a pencil and drawing a picture. It can be with any means as the scholars they say, as many of them say, even with a camera. You are still considered as picture making because some people they say, but the narration we're going to get to it later on in the chapters, inshallah. That Allah's curse is upon the picture makers. Some of them say, but that's when you draw with your hand and you make a picture. You draw a picture, you paint a picture. A camera, you're not making the picture, you're not drawing it, you're not doing anything. But then some of the scholars said, you are? Who is the one who presses the button for that technology to work and make the picture? And linguistically, linguistically, a photographer is known as a, in Arabic, Musawwir. He has made taswir. Linguistically, all of the words still apply to. So many of the scholars have said it is impermissible to take pictures of living things, to take pictures of yourselves or other things with souls in them. Uh, and then, oh, the Sheikh, he mentioned some of the reasons, and we're going to get to those in the chapter later on. We'll do that then. Also, having a good intention is not a reasoning to do something that is not legislated. When they made those pictures and put them into their gatherings, their intention was good. They thought we will remember those pious people and we'll become more pious ourselves when we remember them. Their intention was good, their thinking was good. But it does not justify doing the haram or doing that which is bid'ah. And that's why at the time of the companions, at the time of the companions, just after the Prophet ﷺ died, that narration is mentioned about how some of them, they were sitting in the mosque in circles, a circle of them here, a circle of them there, a circle of them here, a circle of them there. Halaqat, halaq. And each one of them, in all these circles, there was one leader for each circle. And the leader in each circle was saying, Sabbihu mi'ah, hallilu mi'ah, kabbiru mi'ah. The leader for each circle would say to them, say, subhanallah, 100 times. Eh, subhanallah, subhanallah. Say La ilaha illallah a hundred times and they would say it. Say Allahu Akbar a hundred times and they would say it. So far, generally, doing the tasbih, tahleel, takbir, that's from the greatest of the remembrance of Allah. But what were they doing on top of that? In the narration it mentions every time they were doing it, subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Every time they were doing it, they were counting with some pebbles. They were counting with pebbles. Subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. Counting with these pebbles. So then when it came to the attention of the companions, did they accept that or rebuke that? They rebuked it. It was rebuked, refuted. What was refuted though? You're not going to refute them for saying subhanallah. You're not going to refute them for saying la ilaha illallah. 
You're not going to refute them for saying Allahu Akbar, dhikr of Allah, the best of the dhikr of Allah. What were they refuted for then? The method of how they were doing something. Doing the dhikr of Allah is legislated good, excellent. But the method of how they were doing it was incorrect. And that's why it was said to them, كَمْ مِنْ مُرِيدٍ لِلْخَيْرِ لَمْ يُصِبْهُ How many people who may desire goodness never actually achieve it? Those people sitting in the circles that time doing dhikr desired goodness, the remembrance of Allah, yet they never achieved it because the method they were using was not legislated. And that's like the example of a Shaykh al-Albani. One time, he saw a person praying in the mosque. And after the person finished praying, and he prayed properly, Shaykh al-Albani rebuked him for praying in the mosque. The man said, you rebuke me for praying? The Shaykh said, I do not rebuke you for praying. I rebuke you for your method and how and when you are praying. Because when was that? It was after Fajr. When the Fajr time had entered, meaning after Fajr time. When the Fajr time enters, you are not supposed to pray any prayer other than the actual two fard of Fajr and the two sunnah of Fajr. No other prayer is supposed to be prayed in the Fajr time. The man was in the mosque that day praying nafal, nafal, nafal. Shaykh al-Albani rebuked him. He said, you rebuke me for praying? He said, I do not rebuke you for praying. I rebuke you for opposing the sunnah. It is forbidden for you to pray at this time. It's a waqt You're not supposed to be praying other than the two sunnah of fajr and the two fajr fard itself. And tahiyyut al-masjid upon the differences of opinion. Besides that, Nothing else. Besides that, nothing else. It is not the prayer. I'm not stopping you from praying. I'm stopping you from opposing the sunnah. Now is not a time for prayer. So that's why the scholars, they say, it's not necessarily the, the, the action of worship that a person is doing. It may be how and when and the method of what they are doing. That is the bid'ah. And that's why there is bid'ah asliyah and bid'ah idhafiyyah. The bid'ah asliyah is a bid'ah from the foundation it is innovated and made up. Whereas bid'ah idhafiyah is where there is a legislated ibadah established, but the way they do it is not established. Or they've added something to it, or they've made a certain number to it, or they've specified times to it. They've done something to that legislated worship that's taken it out of the method that the sunnah told us to do it. So now it becomes a bid'ah idhafiyyah, some additional type of bid'ah. What time is it then, you said? Adhan, though, is there any time?
We'll stop on that point and we'll finish the chapter next week. Any questions or anything to add before the prayer? In that case, we'll conclude. Oh. The videos, you mean? Yeah, yeah, they make the videos, they make the pictures, and they make the exhibition in the alley, and you have to watch it, and, and they follow it, and they go on the playground, they, send, they make it from the bus. In front so of a picture? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, same thing. They make a picture, they put a picture there, and they start prostrating to it, or putting uh, garlands around it, and all those things. That's the same kind of thing. Haram impermissible, it can be a means to shirk. They do it, all of the, the Sikhs and the Hindus, and they have the pictures and they have the garlands, the flowers on the neck of it, and all those things, these pictures and things they have. All of that is impermissible, it is a means to shirk, it is shirk itself. Most of them, what they do, prostrating to it and everything. Alright, we'll conclude upon that, we'll finish the chapter next week, inshallah. Remember, we have to start a bit earlier, everyone try to arrive for 8 p.m., and we'll begin as soon as possible, close to 8 p.m. insha'Allah.